0: Welcome back, everybody. Another week, another episode of Center of Attention. Uh, had a lot of fun recording this one. Um, if you listen to my sports talk show, Gunnison Sports Talk Radio on KWSB 91.1 FM, you know who my guest is today, Rev Coca. Um, he's probably, I thought I was a big MMA fan, and then I met Rev, and he is a huge MMA junkie. And uh, since last weekend, it uh, wish we would have worked the timing better out. But uh, last weekend was the big UFC event for the month of March. Uh, Yoel Romero fought for the middleweight title against Israel Adesanya, style bender. And then Weili Zhang defended her title against former strawweight champion Joanna Janjacek. And it was a huge week in MMA. So we talked about those two fights, breaking them down because they hadn't actually happened yet. Kind of gave our predictions and where we thought. We saw each of those fighters going, and um, then we talked a little bit about Tony and Khabib, just because that's also another big event that's coming up next month in April. Um, and then we finished out talking about Austin Eckler because he had just gotten a contract signed with the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, four-year, twenty-four point five million dollar um, contract extension. So that, those were the topics for today's show um i hope you guys enjoy it rev is really interesting to talk to and he's super knowledgeable about mma the way he put it um he he put it that we geeked out for a big we geeked out for a big chunk of time about mma which was really cool like i said i love talking to rev and uh he had a lot of good insights for this upcoming weekend you can follow rev on twitter at rev Coca. he's actually kind of twitter famous almost he's uh been in a back and forth with, I can't remember the name of the UFC fighter, but he has been in a sparring bout or a tweeting bout, I guess you can say, with an MMA heavyweight. Um, his Instagram is also just at RevCoca. And uh, go, go ahead and give him a follow. Let him know that you love listening to him on this show. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at COA Pod, all caps. And uh, this is where I'll release the link if you don't have one of the other podcasting platforms to listen to the show. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Pilato, Instagram at proud underscore wap. Um, And then if you're listening on iTunes or any of the other like Breaker, all the Android apps for podcast, give us a a five star review and uh, write a five star rating and write us a review. That'll help us move up the charts. If you listen on Spotify, make sure you follow the show so that you can get all the new episodes coming in. Um, As soon as they come out because that's the the best way to keep up with the show and everything that's happening. Like I said on last week's podcast, got a lot of big stuff coming up for the show. Uh, Tomorrow night we are recording another episode with Dan and Kyle. And then this time we're also adding Bentley, Dan's girlfriend. She wanted to be on the podcast. And then uh, we have a couple others that might show up. I'll let you guys know. If uh, they do end up making the recording of the podcast or not, and then over the spring break, I'll get a podcast recorded with Lauren and another one with Dom because I know you guys enjoyed listening to Dom and I talk, and and you guys also listened to enjoy you also enjoyed listening. Wow, to Lauren on the show. Can you tell that I've been talking too long? Um, last couple podcasts I've recorded right after we start we finished um, Gunnison Sports Talk Radio. So a lot of words coming out. Um, spring break is next week, super happy about that. The coronavirus has made its way to Gunnison, so we are, we have hit the big time with the viruses and everything like that. Make sure you guys stay safe. Um, shouldn't have to be a a new thing, but make sure to wash your hands, um, cover your mouth when you sneeze or cough, just be considerate of other people around you. Um, that's my PSA for this episode, I guess. And now we'll get right into it with center of attention episode 14 with Rev Coca.
1: Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. It's hard to yell when the bat rails in your mouth. Come Come
0: on. On. <laughs> bring them out, bring them out. Hey! Bring them out, bring them out. Yeah. Bring them out, bring them out. Yeah. Hey. hey! Bring them out. Hey. Hey. Bring them hey. out. Hey. Coming live from the VIP. Heard the night life lost, life without me. Mean? Most beds in the state want to see my me. The whole city got pissed, heard he got three. That other nigga got a hip and shouted, he not out. Who set the city on fire soon as he got free? The king back now. Hold on, need know how to act now. Hit the club strippers, getting naked before I sat down. Steal ball and money stacked out the shack now. Still push a button and let the roof on the lac down. I'm on the road Big week in UFC, and we wanted to. We talked about doing a podcast at some point. We were going to do it before the uh, Deontay Wilder and and um, Tyson Fury fight, but now we get to do it when your favorite fighter happens to be fighting tonight. And uh, definitely up there for yeah, the running. For the running. Yeah. Higher than Usman.
1: Um. Um. Honestly, the wrestling the the guy like, with the wrestling background, so the wrestling fan in me would probably side a little bit more with Usman, but obviously, you know, you gotta like Adesanya and just his unique personality, his, you know, like, you can't put him in a categorical box, you know, he's a, he's a, am I allowed to curse here? Yeah. Alright, well, he's a badass of a fighter, obviously, yeah. you know, he's got a cool personality, he's an anime nerd, he's dancer. he's a dancer, dancer he's just yeah. like, you know, like, you can't put him in a categorical box, he's just a cool guy so obviously he's a guy who's easy to root for you know he's got skills on a microphone too you know he's you know he's got the full package obviously something that the UFC looks for
0: he reminds me of a like a Anderson Silva almost and then I was in the gym yesterday and I was, they were showing the uh, highlights from no him and Anderson's fight and that was actually I, I'm I'm upset I missed that one but uh I mean why, why do you think like because I feel like the UFC normally does, like, all their big fights during the summer. Why Why do you think that they're doing it now? Um, Because I, this is the third title fight yeah. in a month?
1: I actually believe right now they're looking to pick it up, like, from the spring into the summer. Because yeah. earlier on, there were, like, a couple big fights, like, with big names, like the John Joneses and the Conor McGregors. But for the most part, you got cards that were kind of lacking. Whereas this card, I'm not saying that his is, like, a UFC 200 or, like... You know, the card last year during the summer with Jones and mm. Jones and Santos and my sweet all asking, it's not as big as that card. Yeah. But this is it still a pretty, this is still a card where you look, where you look from top, from like you look at the undercard, you see prospects where, you know, you have guys like Olympic, you have guys like Olympic wrestlers in the, Danish Marco Madsen, and you have guys like Sean O'Malley coming back after being suspended for two years. Yeah, you know, dealing with you saw that in their bullshit, and we we could go get into that for another day. But
0: no, we, you know, can, we can do whatever yeah. now. I don't really have like a set thing that we were going to talk about. Yeah. Um,
1: but like, there's also that Sean O'Malley's coming back yeah. onto a car finding uh, Jose Cienyones, who's a pretty game bantamweight, and you see you see fights from top top to bottom. That's full of intrigue so mm-hmm. you it kind of seems like they're picking up at this point whereas you know here there's this card with Alessandro romero and the other title fight with you and jay check and Wayley zhang yeah. Wayley zhang is Bre- brendan Shaw likes to say i tend to struggle with it too yeah. i think it's weili zhang probably but yeah i but just know also th- the
0: chinese in the chinese use the the last like the surname is the first name in, like, oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. And so you would be Coco, Red, or yeah, Coco, river Are- Are- is yeah, that close it's enough? It's close, enough. close yeah. enough, yeah,
1: but yeah, they're they're starting to amp up and like rev up some of these cards because there's this one, and then next, and then next month with Tony Ferguson, and could yep. be. I believe Brian Ortega is fighting on that card against Korean Zabi. Rumor has it, so okay. there's some fights on that card. And then, over the summer, I believe during the international fight week, they're looking to set up Conor McGregor and Justin Gaethje. Okay. They're also looking to set up Jorge Masvidal versus my other favorite fighter, Kamara Usman. And then, so I believe they're looking to rev it up heading from spring into the summer. So yeah. it's definitely an exciting time to, you know, be tuned in.
0: Yeah, I mean, when did you start watching? Like, when did you know you were a big UFC fan? Because you're like, I thought I was a big UFC fan, and then I got here and you like watch it a whole lot more mm-hmm. than I do.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a weird, a kind of a weird po- point where there's a bit of like peaks and valleys, and mm-hmm. kind of like where I kind of had high interest in the moments where I just ca- it kind of dipped off over the years, but. um Earlier on, like, it was just something that, like, once, like, I saw it on TV, it was, like, the weirdest thing I ever saw. Like, yeah. I, I believe it was once maybe, like, I caught a glimpse of glimpsed of maybe, like, in sixth grade, just flipping through a TV channel, watching guys rolling on the ground. Me at that point, not really having the slightest of clues, barely what wrestling is or grappling. It was just, like, yeah. what are those guys doing rolling on the ground? And, you know, mm-hmm. the typical casual response to it. And I'm just... And then... I don't, know, I don't know what it was, maybe around like 2009, 2010, I don't know, just like seeing Brock Lesnar go into the UFC or just like mm-hmm. the Undisputed video game and some of the characters that started to c- come out. And I think it was some of the individuals that kind of drew me into the sport and when I started beco- becoming a fan somewhere around like 2009 and 2010, like with... Some of the big names that stuck out to me are guys like Rampage Jackson yeah. and Brock Lesnar. That was
0: when Young John Jones yeah. was coming up too. Yeah, bad. that was
1: like when he first came into the UFC. Yeah. like who's this guy? When all of a sudden he came in there and beat Stefan Bonner. Like yeah. he's a tough veteran, and who's this random guy who had four fights who learned how to f- learn how to fight MMA off of YouTube videos yeah. and was supposed to be a wrestling standout, but. For some reason, he was stuck on a JUCO circuit and then just said, I'm just going to start fighting MMA. Quickly burst into the scene out of nowhere, beat Stephen Bonner. And, like, you saw guys like that. You saw guys like Chuck Liddell around the scene. And it was really, like, individual fighters that really drew me into the sport. And from there, I kind of just started tuning into the events, playing the UFC on the speed of video games, kind of getting a knowledge of the fighters there, kind of.
0: Yeah. Those UFC video games, especially the older ones, were really sweet. Yeah, because you get to. Or you, it was it was Undisputed Three that you get to fight in Pride, right? Oh yeah, Pride. Yeah. Yep.
1: You do Bob Sap and Mark Hunt. Yep. Or at least for the first time, Mark Hunt before he signed with or joined the UFC. So Watowski. Yeah.
0: <laughs> got a, got his nose broken a lot. Oh yeah. It, as that was like one of the most disappointing fighters I think ever. Because he was just a big house yeah. and never fought,
1: a little mentally deranged in the mind. Yes. You know, you saw in fights where, where clearly he was just in there for the money. Like, mm-hmm. like Japan is Japan and the MMA organizations are ran a little bit differently in America. Yeah. So you'll see Bob Sapp is just gonna milk it as much as he can because he knows well Japan loves freak shows. Yep. They love sumo wrestlers. They love Gabby Garcia's mm-hmm. two hundred twenty pound oh, shit. freak show. I forgot show. about Gabby yeah. Garcia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have six
0: foot
1: four, six five. Yeah, the six foot something, yeah, two hundred and twenty pounds, just specimen yoked. of a woman, and yeah, she, they have. And Japanic tend to love the freak shows, and Bob Sapp takes advantage of that. But mm-hmm. the thing that the thing with him is like he takes advantage of it a little bit more than other people. Like he knows that, I mean, he knows that he's gonna get the same amount of money. Unlike the UFC with the yeah. show, the show money, win mm-hmm. money, he knows that regardless, he could literally give away a fight. Like, and literally tap out within the first 20 seconds and still get paid the same amount. So, after a while, it was just, I'm, I might give give it an honest effort where he might give it an honest effort for, like, 15 seconds. Yeah. And if he could, like, land a ginormous haymaker, and then easy win but right. if his opponent has any bit of backbone and fights back and like hits him with something even somewhat flush he goes to the ground he gets in the fetal position and he starts tapping out and it's just yeah. like that's it's a bad sport to be was, in if you don't like to get hit even though recently some of his couple like last two fights has been kind mm-hmm. of funny kind of goofy decisions back in rising which has kind of mm-hmm. been a bit of a resurrection of the prod organization so it's cool to see like a new organization in japan kind of pick up with that Tradition and yeah. see a few interesting like fighters and prospects like former UFC fighters come around here and there and Kyoji Horiguchi and hmm. he was he was one of the major like flyweights like back or one of the bigger flyweight prospects okay and, yeah yeah uh, challenged Mighty Mouse when he was a little too early and not quite experienced enough but okay. I think he's kind of coming along a little bit more now unfortunately he's dealing with a pretty big injury that'll silence him for a while but that's just kind of other stuff like also you know just how big the MMA landscape has yeah, it's, improved it's since I since I first became a fan in two thousand nine and two thousand ten
0: yeah well, we were we do the Gunnison Sports Talk Radio Show and we were talking about this trying to talk about it with everybody else and nobody else knows like fighting like you and I do and nobody pays attention so wanted to get you on here to do kind of like a breakdown because like you said Ferguson Habib is coming up and I know we have differing opinions on that probably have different i'm probably gonna just play devil's advocate with you for the um fight that's going down tonight we're recording this the day of uh yo romero and Stylebender, and then Wei Li zhang and joanna yun jay yeah
1: and these title fights are interesting i think we i can play devil's advocate like either way like the same yeah. way you can like these are some interesting 50 50 fights
0: whereas really there yeah. are some questions like this is one of the most competitive cards that I can remember, especially with the two, like, co and the main. Yeah,
1: those two fights, for sure. Because
0: watching the highlights of Yul's, Yul's career, I forget how explosive he is sometimes. Mm-hmm. And a 50-year-old man should not be able to move like mm-hmm. that or be that scary. But he's legitimately, like, I was watching him do shadow boxing with dumbbells in his hands, and he's using 25-pound dumbbells to throw his punches. So he's he's a freak show. Stylebender is, I don't know. Like I haven't seen too many of his fights but if he's anything like Anderson Silva was, he's obviously one of the best yeah, stand-up fighters. Yeah. Not sure about his ground game. but um, And then uh, I, I think we should talk about the fly flyweight stuff first because we were mm-hmm. talking about that last week on, the, on Gunnison Sports Talk Radio. You and I were kind of going back and forth on whether or not the flyweight division should stick around in the UFC because it's starting to be – I just don't think people, especially in America, care about it all that much. The 125-pound fighters, they don't really draw in the big crowds. They don't sell a lot of pay-per-views. And then last week, the guy misses weight, uh, Figueredo yeah. misses weight, and then goes in TKO's Benavidez in the second round. It was the, the worst case Yeah, it was, it was the worst case for the UFC. Um, but, it, I mean, the UFC has always been more of a big man's organization. And the lightest weight class they used to have was lightweight. And they were thinking about getting rid, Get of, that rid of that for of that while. Once
1: the BJ Penn, Carl Uno draw back mm-hmm. in the day. I forgot the other end. I think it was, like, Dean Thomas and Matt at the other end of that little lightweight yep. tournament they had back in the day.
0: Yeah, but, Matt Sarah back, way back when. When he had hair. Yeah, right? and had no business being a UFC champion, just got yeah. lucky a couple times. Um, why do you think, like, the lighter weights don't draw as much of a crowd in America?
1: Um, it's a bit of, like, the, <clears throat> the <clears throat> let me mark that one second, but it's yeah. a bit of the ignorant bias I feel like American fans have. Like, it's the same kind of challenge that, women have at the same time like for some reason like an american fan looks at a really small fighter or female fighter and all of a sudden is like i don't want to watch this fighter because i think i can beat this guy's ass like the automatic assumption is they see a guy who's five foot three and a 140 pounds net like walk around weight like a guy like demetri johnson Mm thing i could beat that guy's ass like without really paying attention to the subtle details and just how fast he is and just how how quick he moves in and out and like yeah. like you think you grab a hold of him and all of a sudden he's behind you like clinching you up and let, throwing that mighty arm throwing that little mighty arm bar mm-hmm. on you and and you thinking that you're twice his size and you're just going to manhandle him and right. but he yeah, has a bit of that ignorant bias that people kind of think these guys are small these guys are little that I can yeah. just beat these guys his ass so huh. people are really interested in watching that and I think it's ignorant cuz I think you know, of course, me being an MMA geek, I'm going to say, like, these guys are entertaining. They're fast. It's action. Yeah. Action Pack is entertaining. They always have good gas tanks. They always show up for 15 to 25 minutes. But right. unfortunately, not everyone thinks like Rev Coca.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, not everybody thinks like Rev Coca, that's for sure. But, um, when like, the big debate that was going around, and since I listen to Rogan and Schaub all the time, they would always argue back and forth uh, when Mighty Mouse was on his run and then John... Was obviously John Jones is considered the greatest fighter of all time. Who did you have pound for pound number one before Mighty Bounce got beat by uh Sahuda?
1: Um, pound, pound for pound, it kind of wavered based off of like historically and also like in a moment. Like, historically, I would say John Jones because whether or not he takes PEDs, I believe there's a version of John Jones that's just whether it's the young version of just running through people, the old version where he's kind of. Nodding off, and whereas, whereas he may not be the same guy he used to be, but he's still winning. So overall, when you look at the whole spectrum and the fact that he, the only loss on his record is really a win. Yeah, but to six
0: elbow. Yeah,
1: so you have to look at the whole spectrum. He's definitely pound for pound number one. But when you break it down, you look at like who's doing the more impressive things recently in a, a more impressive division mm-hmm. you'd have to say a guy like Khabib cuz yeah. that lightweight division is an absolute shark tank you have guys like Tony Ferguson well guys like Tony Ferguson who's going to fight next month and then a guy j- like Justin Gaethje who's obviously waiting and yeah and I'm not necessarily interested in seeing a Conor McGregor rematch but who knows a, con- a motivated Conor McGregor who's not going around going to bars and strip clubs and mm-hmm. Doing Lord Knows What with Lord Knows Who and, yeah. and punching people and punching, punching old men. Punching old,
0: old dudes in Irish like, pubs.
1: Who knows? A motivated Conor McGregor, if they give him the fight and if they give him the rematch, could, you know, and it just shows how much the lightweight division, just shows how stacked the lightweight division is. And yeah. Right now, i give it to Khabib because he's dominate. He's dominating legitimate contenders. He, yeah. In his last fight, like he made Dustin Poirier look like he never wrestled a day in his life. And Poirier has a pretty good complementary wrestling game to go with his mm-hmm. boxing and to go with what he does well. And he's Khabib been fighting abs- forever too. Yeah, and Khabib absolutely shut him out, made him look like an amateur. So right now, Khabib's pound for pound number one. However, if if you're a fan who looks at it from a perspective like. Um, I gotta disqualify people who take Peds and GSP from the perspective from the perspective that he's won two belts in two different divisions and how yeah. long he dominated a welterweight division in regards to what you thought of his fighting style and certain boring parts of his career. Very boring, <laughs>
0: most of the time. That's mm. the, he's the definition of a point after the Matt fight.
1: Sarah after the Matt Sarah knockout. There was just like a certain period where he just kind of like yeah. well. I I just gotta stick to what I can do well and like, in terms of, doing the most effective thing he could do, and the least riskiest. Mm-hmm. So like, like high like high like, high reward, low risk, and he kind of had that style. Like after he got knocked out by Masaryk, so he like that period yeah. where he became a, a jab, low kick, single leg takedown this, style yeah, fighter.
0: Just take you down, not do anything when he has you on the ground. Just kind of hold you there for a little bit. Um, it's crazy how much the sport has changed just in like even if you want to go back from 2010 to 2009 there were still guys that were just like bar fighters and tough guys that can go into the UFC and be fairly, I think fairly competitive that's kind of what I considered Liddell as, he was he was a kickboxer and obviously had like that kind of background but mm-hmm. he didn't really have the mindset, he wasn't necessarily an athlete he was more of just like a seemed, looked like a bouncer almost going into the cage and then he's gonna land a right hand or he's gonna chuck bite down in his mouthpiece and chuck haymakers at you but he wasn't necessarily as much of an athlete or a martial artist as like Stylebender's a total martial artist he's not really a guy that would go out and get into bar fights um he's just more doing it for the sport of of fighting
1: yeah obviously you look obviously you look at like some of the the previous generations and you see certain things whereas you see like a bj pen jiu-jitsu game that doesn't quite adapt to today's modern game Mm -hmm. or you see chuck liddell like maybe there are certain aspects that were good whereas you know he was he was good fighting off his back fighting off his back foot whereas he fought while moving backwards which is something that you still see certain ufc fighters struggle with today and fighters in mma as a whole in boxing like certain people just tend to like to function as a as pressure fighters because that's what mma and especially mma judges tend to favor people, mm-hmm. like, to pressure. So when you see a guy like Chuck Liddell moving backwards and also hitting, like, counter combinations, and you see certain fighters who look for the knockout punch all the time, but Chuck Liddell also had to wear it to all the hit combinations and to really mix it up. And yeah. there, there are certain things that Chuck Liddell had where fighters like Adesanya and fighters in the future could implement into their game, but also, like, develop new things to learn from as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, his takedown defense was probably one of those things that separated him from being just a, a brawler. Um, and yeah, Liddell, too. Yeah, that's that's mm. what I'm talking about. Yeah. He he doesn't. Liddell never really got taken down, and he was fighting guys like Randy Couture, who's a army wrestling champion. Oh, yeah, no and, and, and Tito it, Ortiz, yeah, too. Yeah, Tito Ortiz yeah. was a really good wrestler. <clears throat> and I think that's what Stylebender kind of does well, too, because I don't see him on his back too much. That was kind of my thing when we were talking earlier about this fight, that Yoel has... Yol has such an, a wrestling pedigree. A silver medalist in the Olympics and also Cubans, they know how to wrestle mm-hmm. and they know how to box and swim 90 miles, depending on how far they, uh, where they are from Cuba to Key West, they can swim 90 miles, which I think that's how uh, Yole got here.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, yeah. But Those uh, bricked up eight packs don't come from nowhere. No.
0: The boulder shoulders on a 185-pound man, too, his shoulders are bigger than mine. He, oh, he, I weigh, like, 80 pounds more than he does. Um, but it, it's definitely, like, I don't know. We can get in and we can go wherever yeah. you want. Like, yeah. we can talk about judging. We can talk about whatever fights are coming up. Um, pound for pound, we already kind of talked about that. Um, but
1: I think since the fight tonight is Romero versus Adesanya and obviously Ian Jacek versus Wei Li, we, I think we should kind of hone in on that. But okay. let's focus more on, like, Romero and Adesanya. And I think some that you we're mentioning was like his wrestling background and Adesanya being able to scramble and get back up to his feet. And mm-hmm. some of that I wanted the emphasis on is just Romero and like some of like his wrestling style and like the, f- and the things that he's good at and things he tends to struggle at the things that he's really good at is like the factor that he's able to land the takedown, like he's explosive. Yeah. We've seen fights like in the Brad Tavares fight and we've seen where he's just, Open up, just got him in a body lap. I mean, body lock, and just ragdoll them and just hit him with trips and lateral drops and throws. And we've also seen him le- being able to land takedowns against his opponents, like Robert Whitaker. But the struggle in which I've seen many like experienced wrestling minds, like Chael Sonnen and Ben Askren, also talk about is Romero comes from that like I think freestyle wrestling. Yep. Yeah, he comes from that freestyle background where it's not like a american collegiate folk style background that focuses a lot more on riding time and being able to control people on the ground so you see romero coming from the freestyle background that's more on you know takedowns on takedowns on the feet and maybe moments where you can land a pinning combination but it's not really emphasized on top control and writing time so yeah. you kind of see that style where he has trouble clamping down and keeping people down so it's just interesting to see how the wrestling narrative could play because you know Romero's a guy who fights in spurts and yeah. and like 20-second 20, 20 little bursts of energy. So if yeah. he gets Romero, I mean, if he gets Adesanya down for a brief moment, gets him in a side control or in a mount or something, and starts landing those monstrous hooks of his, like maybe he gets him out of there, but as, if he's not able to do that and if, if he's not able to hold Adesanya down and Adesanya's back on his feet, functioning from the outside distance where he's, Basically a maestro, like mm. just interesting to see where the fight narrative takes place and where it goes.
0: Yeah, um, it's gonna be. I think Stylebender has a good base to try and keep Mar- Romero away, but I don't know if he can do that. The main thing now that I'm starting to see with Romero is that he trains at Jackson's, so he trains with some of the best fighters in the world. He has Jones as a training partner, and um, I can't I, I can't remember who the other. Guys that that train over at Jackson's are um, so style. Stylebender doesn't have as good of a training camp as Romero does. I think Stylebender's well, probably
1: been there, but I think he's back at ATT. Cause like he normally trains there, cause like obviously from that southern Florida Miami yeah. region, and that's a great phenomenal camp yep. too. Looking at ATT, the
0: cha- that yeah. they just built that brand new warehouse for all their their fighters too. They're yeah. they're like a fighting factory. At this yeah, point. they got
1: people from other countries and people like I mentioned before Hor- Horiguchi, and people around the world who stay in like dorms around that area to yeah. train there and get the state-of-the-art training experience and they got good trainers and nutritionists and and coaches like the former WEC champion and Mike Brown mm-hmm. working with Yoel Romero right now and Israel Adesanya what they got working in New Zealand right now with the cook with Eugene Behrman in New Zealand and they got Dan two Hooker's champions his best, yeah.
0: his best training partner
1: yeah, yeah with Dan Hooker and Alexander Volkanovsky's featherweight champion right now mm-hmm. who I don't know if he trades all the time, but he definitely spends a lot of time at that camp there in New Zealand as well. And you see, like... It's a bit of a clash of camps, whereas ATT's had the long-time reputation as an MMA powerhouse of a gym. And then there's, like, this small little gym in New Zealand where all of a sudden it's making noise. Where there's, like, a couple fighters where you have guys like Hooker and Adesanya and Volkanovski. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, you see a federate like, Brad Riddell. Like, and they're just raising these new Australian, New Zealand kind of base fighters. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to see how the clash of camps go.
0: Too. Yeah. I I'm not sure where I land on this one. I was pretty set on style benders cuz I think the point karate um, fighters do really well in the UFC because they know how to or just in MMA in general cuz that's what right. uh Venom Page is in Bellator mm-hmm. and he can control distance. He knows how to get in and get out.
1: Similar style from like the distance track like, I don't know if I Saudi he is he is like aspects of karate yeah. for sure, so I, I get what you I saying. don't think
0: he he competed in point karate, but he definitely has that really long wide stance so it's difficult to get close to oh, him yeah, he's it is a wide open stance yeah and he's like 6 he's he's over 6, six foot four, four, right? four. yeah six, he's 64 six, four, fighting at 185 mm-hmm. pounds. so he's going to be taller and have longer reach
1: a 7 inch reach advantage mm-hmm.
0: yeah and, and so i think he can keep romero at a good distance which is that's key because if romero lands a shot on you especially if he's throwing it with everything that he has it lights out for anybody in that division um So I I was kind of set on Yoel Yoel, or Stylebender to win, but now I'm seeing some of the old stuff from Yoel. And he fought Machida too, right? Yoel fought fought Machida, right? Right. And that was like the originator of the point karate fighter. He even threw the the crane kick from the Karate Kid movie on Randy Couture and knocked out his front tooth. So I don't know if that's as much of an advantage for Stylebender as I saw it before. So I I think I can start – I'm starting to see Yoel probably get inside – and be able to be explosive and get in tight a little bit better than what I was originally thinking.
1: When you reference the, the Machida fight for Romero, I think, an interesting point you bring up is Romero against a guy who knows how to fight outside and you and maximize, use the most of his reach and the most of his distance. Because a guy like Machida and also Adesanya, both of them know how to maximize most of the reach. While Machida's not as tall and as long as no. Adesanya, he still fights effectively with the reach that he has. Yeah. But... We kind of saw a dynamic that it's kind of interesting that going back to the Anderson, Anderson Silva comparisons, I think you could kind of compare both guys to Anderson Silva in a way, whereas Romero, as we saw in the Machida fight, he kind of has an Anderson Silva mentality where he's not necessarily looking to la- to win rounds. Mm-hmm. Like, he's looking to... He's looking to take your head off at a certain moment of a fight, whereas it's, it's like little short moments of energy. But he's not just constantly building and building. He's not like yeah. a constant grind. It's not like he's keeping an active work where he's just exploding at certain moments, dashing like from halfway across the cage, throwing overhands, haymakers, and flying knees in yeah. certain bursts. Those flying and, knees are insane. And in the Machida fight, you just had that certain moment where he's like, okay, I'm tired of stri- I'm I've struck with you for like two and a half rounds. I'm tired of this. I'm just going to take you down and start landing some ground. Yeah. And he kind of has that Anderson Silva mentality. Whereas I'm not looking to win rounds. I'm looking to make my reads. Mm. And then once I find that right moment to just pop you, I'm going to do it. And he kind of has that. Whereas Adesanya kind of has that comparison to Silva and turns like that. His ability to use all of his weapons, like mm-hmm. all of his limbs. He's, he's hitting you with feet. He's hitting you with his hands, his elbows, his knees. He's his ability too. to mix his it up. Is,
0: it, that's, I think that's why he beat Whitaker. I wasn't expecting him to beat Whitaker, but he was so slick that he can make you, and that's how the best fighters are. They make you miss by that much, and then they can come back, and they're just yeah, out of range for your ability. fight, or for your attack, and then you they come back, and you're right in their range. I think that's where I see the most of Anderson Silva's game and style bender. Yeah,
1: they both they both have that subtle head movement. Whereas Sonya kind of has like the tools and the skill set similar to an Anderson Silva. Whereas Romero Romero kind of comes with that Anderson Silva mentality, where he's not looking to win rounds; he's just looking to land that one shot on you.
0: Yeah, it's uh, is this the biggest title fight in middleweight history? Um, or is this kind of just like a? It's a big fight because these two there. guys.
1: Yeah, it's definitely up there. You know, you have to look at, you know, some of the fights, you know, looking at it in hindsight, like, you know, um, some of the, like, Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva, Chris yeah. Weidman, Luke Rockhold, and some of those fights. And also... um Even Romero Whitaker, just based off of his history and what Whitaker did, but it's definitely one of the most exciting, intriguing ones based off of just an up-and-comer who's only been to UFC for two years who's Mm -hmm. just been on just this astronomical surge in Anasanya where he looks like he's a full package, you know, like we mentioned earlier with all of his hobbies and interests and his unique personality and also what he does inside a cage, but also Romero's unique personality, whereas he's (laughs) reserved, but at the same time, like, for a guy who does even have English as his first language. Like, his personality still shows through, yep. even with some of the language barriers he has. Like, you see guys, like, it just shows how intriguing this fight is, whereas it's two personalities and also two, like, really good elite fighters, whereas the really just the carefree, kind of easygoing, like, I don't care what anyone says about me, Adesanya versus, against guess, Romero, who's, like, even though English is not even his first language like his personality and just how intense he is and just how playful he is and just like the mixture labor. his mixture of styles like you can kind of see in his fighting style where sometimes he's just kind of calm whereas mm-hmm. he kind of lures you to sleep or he kind of he throws these throwaway strikes with like 50% power then all of a sudden it's an explosion yeah. you can see that Romero's personality too whereas in moments he kind of calm and reserved and talking about his, re- his religion and talking about how much he loves God and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's getting in front of a reporter's face, taking off his glasses and talking about, like, if you believe anything is possible. Yeah. Like, he just, the, his ability just, the way he switches up, like, he kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of jo-
0: dynamic. So
1: it's just, yeah. it's an interesting fight all around.
0: He seems a little bit schizophrenic, especially after when that one reporter was asking him what's his biggest regret. You don't want to know. You don't want <laughs> to know. So I pre- I'm pretty sure he probably killed somebody like some to get real out of Cuba. Scarface. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Tony Montana <laughs> I am going to win the belt for my people and for God in front of God that's that's your remember imagine
1: that scene just him like if he wins him coming back to the UFC belt going back to Cuba and just
0: I and did this for you Jesus yes. yes I did
1: this for you I don't know he's headed downtown like he is yeah. yeah that that is a party mm-hmm. like, yeah so be an interesting scene but also Adesanya with the you know, with his connection to Nigeria, and also, yeah. and also with New Zealand, and also like you know, the multiple cultures that he mm-hmm. comes from as well. So it's just interesting, interesting clash of fighting styles, personalities, cultures,
0: and it's just. So if I have if I ask you to make a prediction, who are you going to predict to win tonight, and then how would how are they going to win? Because you're normally pretty good at picking when and where mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna win mm-hmm. too.
1: I'm gonna start off with how people. Well, he- and I'm going to go off and I'm going to start with Adesanya, who I think is going to win
0: mm-hmm.
1: ultimately. But I think he's going to win by maintaining that distance and being able to mix it up against Omero and and utilizing the fact that he is more of a round winner. He has that style where mm-hmm. he keeps up an active work rate where... He looks to find his reads where he's not the fastest to the stars around one, but he's not looking to give rounds away like Romero does sometimes. Yeah. So he's gonna look to find his reads, but also keep up an active rate, throw that jab, and utilize the fact that he's six foot four with an eighty inch reach and just stick that jab in front of your face and stay active. Yeah. And he has to do that, mix it up, land shots to the body obviously a guy with a guy as bricked up as Romero may not have the cardio mm-hmm. as a guy as with as a guy as lean as Adesanya, so he's gotta mix it up, stay long and just pick him apart. And also whenever Romero tries to take him down and whenever there are situations when they scramble and during those entries and exits, Adesanya's gotta take advantage of that. Like land an elbow as soon as they exit the clincher. Land an elbow if he's like when they're up against a fence and Romero's working for a takedown, like yeah. land a knee to a sternum, like while they're in a clinch and like really, he's just he just gotta work and and a guy as tough as Romero, Adesanya could finish because he we've seen Romero get finished before that at light heavyweight, but yeah. that's not something you should bank on. I think no. overall Adesanya should just focus on keeping the work rate up and taking advantage whenever Romero shoots for a takedown, because as we seen like in the Whitaker fights, Romero could get gas, um, pushing too hard for takedown. so asanya's yeah. just got to stay working, hit, attack the body, defend the takedowns, the, um, make him pay on those entries and exits, and just drain him over yeah. the span of 25 minutes.
0: I see Romero winning this fight if it doesn't go the distance. I don't see um, Stylebender being able to put him away. I don't he doesn't have the ground games to submit him, and I don't see him hitting hard enough to knock him out. I said the same thing when he was going to fight Whitaker though, so he could definitely prove me wrong. Um, I just don't see Yoel getting knocked out in any in, at any point in his middleweight career. I think that he, if it ends in a finish, I'm counting on Romero to win. And I think that's how he's going to have to do it. He's going to land some explosive shot, catch Stylebender when he's not looking. And I'm I'm going to guess that it's Romero. But I agree with you that if Stylebender wants to win, he's going to have to drag it into like the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. Yeah. And that's where he's going to probably pull away a little bit instead of just kind of standing in front and, and seeing whether or not he can knock him out. There, this isn't going to be a slugfest. It's going to be a very calculated strategic. fight. Yeah, yeah. it's... <laughs> It's gonna be interesting.
1: Yeah, and like the point you brought up from the aspect of Romero, I think, you know, the keys are definitely out there and the fact that he has more raw power, whereas Adesanya is precise, whereas he TKO's he, he people as a result of like his precision and his work rate and there's the fact that he hits you right on the button with that right, I mean, with that need and all of a sudden he hits you with a punch, and all of a sudden it's like a finishing combination. Whereas Romero is more raw power, mm-hmm. and that's kind of something he's got to take advantage of for us. He's not going to, chances are he's not going to win a decision this fight. Adesanya is just too clever. He's going to keep keep up too much of a work rate for Romero to really keep up with too much. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, Romero's way to win this fight is just fighting an explosive, finding that moment to land something explosive or to take advantage of something, to come in, land a flying knee, or to come in, uh, look for a tendency of Adesanya's and know when to throw that right overhand or like what he did against Leona Machida, take him down. And while he's not necessarily going to, while he's not it's not necessarily guaranteed that he'll be able to hold Adesanya down, but if he takes him down and gets in the right position or, like, has him in a mount or, mm-hmm. like, gets something like that, like, just unload. Yeah. Like, he's just got to unload at the right moment. That's how he's going to win.
0: After this fight, where who do you think the UFC is banking on winning so that they can continue to push? Because I don't think the, the middleweight division is one of the lower-hyped divisions, I think, right now in the UFC. So yeah. who do you think A lot the, of the who do you old, think the organization would want to win for the betterment of them?
1: Um, interesting to interesting as you say this, Romero's this week. Romero this week has been talking about how he wants to how he wants to be like Bernard Hopkins and fight till he's in his fifties. And how isn't he, he already in his fifties? Well, gonna be forty three. That's yeah. what the birth certificate, according says. to the birth certificate yeah.
0: that he wrote in Green Crayon.
1: Yes. I am I am forty three yes. or I am forty two. I came over 43. to I came over <laughs> to the United States when I was yeah. twenty two. Yeah, check those docs. Yeah, you know, Jimmy Jimmy is definitely looking into that. But yeah, like so, the blueprint out there for Adesanya on being able to I mean for Adesanya Romero on being able to win is definitely out there.
0: Okay. So. Then on the other title fight for tonight, it's just the strawweight uh, women's championship. Waley Zhang just won it from uh, Gedalia. Is that who she won it from? oh Andraj. Andraj, Jessica Andrade. And then we get to see Joanna Janjacek, who, um, I don't know. I used to really like her fights because I thought she was kind of like a humble killer. And and she, she's a, still a killer, but she's just a little bit more cocky than I saw. I see a lot of similarities between her and Ronda Rousey at this point, where Ronda was beloved when she was winning and, Uh, the shit talking and everything that she did was cute while she was the baddest woman on the planet. But then as soon as somebody kind of steps up to her and gets in her face, we saw how quickly they, she faded away. I think I can, I'm seeing that a little bit right now with Ioana because she was so dominant, beating everybody up. She's landing like close to 300, 400 punches a fight. And now we're starting to see girls catch up to her and, and she's still doing the same, uh, like intimidation style tactics. And it's just kind of, uh, it's just kind of weird at this point.
1: Hmm. The thing that you brought up is with that Ioani and JJ personality, but I think what I'm going to bring, I mean, I think the thing that works in her favor is uh, is that intensity sometimes can get into her opponent's head, where on the outside looking in. She kinda has an awkward Polish accent. Mm-hmm. You see some of the antics or some of the jokes she talks about on social media or just like, you know, like the she crossed the boundaries of, you know, making the xenophobic coronavirus jokes and laughing at memes and jokes that are spread and it's like Me personally, I'm not necessarily a guy who's overly offended. Like if if I see a joke that's racist or offensive, like if it's actually if there's actually comedic value in it, then it's okay, but what Joanna was laughing at, there was not much comedic value in there. So, like, no. some of the stuff on the outside looking in as a fan, you kind of look at it and it's like, why is Joanna doing that, like, the trash talk, it kind of sounds corny, and it's like, yeah. with the Polish ex- accent, it just doesn't sound natural, but from another perspective, like, you look at it from a person fighting Joanna, and you know you know how the intensity that she's going to bring, the fact that she never tires, she has one of the best gas tanks in, the, in MMA, mm-hmm. and her ability to chain combinations from the first minute of the fight to the 24th minute of the fight, and yeah. just to stay in your face, and we've seen kind of Bits and moments where Whaley may may look a little rattled and like when she told Yoanna to shut up and she kind of looked a little tense and she like flipped off a section of I believe like the Polish the Polish like audience like during like a press during co- a press conference during the week so yeah. you've seen moments where Zhang looks a little rattled and like that's the thing with Yoanna's personality like on the outside looking in it's cringy but like it can get into an opponent's head and Mm -hmm. also her fighting style where, you know, she's going to be in your face. She's going to be frustrating you. Like, it's kind of like, like, like her personality, you know, she's, she's gonna, she's gonna be annoying. She's gonna be in your face the whole time.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is, I think it's the best time for Joanna to be fighting Wei Li because, um, she hasn't been able to be at home training in China because they yeah, she's been they canceled around. the fights yeah they canceled the flights from china to the u.s because of the coronavirus um she's been having to train in hotel rooms in thailand and and all that kind of stuff so it threw off her routine a little bit so i can that she's if she's going to be susceptible at any point i think that she watching some of her her previous fights she's a monster she just comes right after you she's a people physical up. specimen yes, she's yeah.
1: She's fast. She's quick. She's strong. Very strong. Yeah, she's kind of. She kind of. She kind of reminds me of someone who has like that base where like she's. She's not necessarily like someone with a boxing background or a wrestling background. She kind of has like that natural MMA base, but mm-hmm. she. She's like a natural athlete that just picks things up really fast.
0: Yeah, so. if you were making her in Undisputed, she would be the MMA prototype. Yeah. she's not a. She's not a brawler. She's not a boxer. She's not a wrestler. She can do everything fairly well, and it, it works with her. Yeah. Her pressure that she puts on her, but I think that she's susceptible at this point because she's having to deal with a whole bunch of outside factors, and then you have to throw on, on top of it Joanna making all the racist jokes. And who would have thought that Polish people, for being made fun of for their ethnicity for however long, I don't know if you know the there's all the old Polish jokes. Like what
1: side were they in on World War Two again? Remind me. They
0: weren't on any side because or they were being really occupied first. But it's really? just there, like there used to be. You know how there's dumb blonde jokes. All the dumb blonde jokes used to be dumb polish jokes mm-hmm. like dumb polike jokes <laughs> but it, it's it's weird that the polish people are so racist towards waley zhang at this point yeah. I, I just don't i don't understand why that that is that way but it's uh, i think it's gotten into Waley's head and and now i'm kind of undecided on who i think is going to win i thought that Whaley was going to destroy Joanna at first because i, d- I didn't think that yoana has looked that great in the last few fights but Um, I'm kind of up in the air at this point.
1: Yeah, we're... um, The thing that's interesting about this fight, like you said, is the narrative of the head games. I think, ultimately, there's also a factor of experience that I think is going to be able to set Joanna over the top in this fight. Just the fact that she's an experienced veteran. She's, regardless of what you think about her personality and who she is outside, and with the Polish stereotypes that she seems to fit into, Mm -hmm. just overall just the nasty things that tend to be thought of about Polish people that I really wasn't aware of until some of the things about Joanna. and people like, Well, Polish people are tend to have this reputation. So it kinda caught me off guard is yeah. me kind of being a Joanna fan, like with her dominant reign. But regardless of what you think about her personality, she's she's an ex- she's an experienced fighter. Mm. She's she's comfortable even when she's fighting off her back. She can work her way up to her feet. Yeah. She's in the clinch, she'll punish you with those strikes and with those elbows. If you if you sacrifice yourself or sell yourself out really hard for a takedown, she's gonna punish you yep. there. And she has that style. And whether or not whether or not young is strong enough to be able to impose her game and be be able to out grapple Joanna uh, in the same way that Valentina Shevchenko did yep. is gonna be the question as to whether or not uh, wayley wins or Joanna wins. But I think. Joanna's gonna have enough defensive grappling to get out of those, get out of those takedowns, and she's gonna be able to stay on her feet enough to squeak out a decision.
0: Yeah, she's a very dangerous fighter on her feet. She was a, I don't know how many time world kickboxing champion. She has over like 300 kickboxing fights you know, like before kickboxing, she even started MMA. Yeah. yeah, and the Muay Thai gives her the advantage because I think she broke her hand in one of her. Like previous fights when she was on her huge run and she was able to just finish out the rest of the fight throwing elbows and and all that kind of stuff until her hand numbed up so that she could throw that again um it's it's an interesting dynamic right now i don't know how popular the women's strawweight is but it after whoever wins this fight do you see them obviously i don't think that joanna is going to move up and fight valentina if they win this fight but Nah. I'm not sure about the rest of the division for the strawweight for the women. Do yeah. you think Wei Li, if she wins, she'll go up and challenge Valentina at some point?
1: Um, maybe after a couple more title defenses, and if the the strawweight division is in a bit of an interesting place because I believe right after Wei Li and Joanna, the next contender is Tatiana Suarez, but she's dealing with a neck injury, and that's mm. you know that's. A pretty de- devastating injury to have, especially going into a career in MMA, because you obviously like with the clinch and the grappling, and the fact you got to pivot and yeah, the explosion you got to yeah getting punched in the face gotta, and yeah, in the, yeah and just everything that comes from the neck. So, so like what like when Tatiana Suarez comes back is still a question mark, like on the timetable of her return. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think that's next in line. She's still undefeated. She's beating everyone the UFC's put in front of her, and I think after the after the Joanna Whaley's young fight the winner of that fight's going to fight Tatiana Suarez hopefully soon when she recovers
0: yeah it's uh that'll be a, a i think it, it's going to be a good card tonight so prediction for the women's strawweight championship who who do you have winning and, and how do you, how do you have them winning
1: um joanna's going to win ultimately because it's going to come down to the question of Willie Zhang being strong and physical enough to hold Joanna down for extensive periods of time and take advantage of her top game which can be very devastating but I think I think she's not going to be able to do it for long enough and Joanna is going to be able to to build enough of a lead on the feet and okay. you know get her rhythm going and then she's going to squeak out a decision perhaps a 49-46 style of
0: like a split decision yeah, almost I can yeah. see that happening pretty pretty easily um, I think we. I hope Whaley win, wins. I don't know who I think is going to win at this point, but I. I know I want Whaley to win. I think yeah, that I want her, but yeah.
1: I think Joanna's going to win.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely. I see Joanna having more ways to win than Whaley does. I think Whaley can finish Joanna, but I don't know. Mm. I I don't know if I see her um, winning a decision just because, like you said, Joanna's is very good at her takedown defense. That's one of the the staples of her her game and that's how she's able to keep every fight that she's been in on the feet and i don't really see after the first couple rounds i don't see wayley landing much and i think it's almost like a dominating victory mm. for for Joanna mm. at this point
1: however to be fair and kind of bring in all aspects i also have to do bring up the factor of wayley's power and her ability to perhaps land that counter that counter left hand that Joanna tends to struggle with from time to time when <laughs> We we saw that moments in Valid, the Valentina Shevchenko fight, whereas Shevchenko obviously is a maestro of a counter puncher and she'll hit you with those slick counters. And yep. also in the Rose, both in the Rose Norma Units fights, we saw instances where Joanna was constantly getting, count,
0: yeah. getting
1: counter with that left and constantly getting popped with it. And if yep. Wei Lee hits her with that nice counter, there could be a moment where she could... Perhaps take advantage of the opportunity and get a finish there, because Wei Li is a powerful puncher and she's a good opportunist. Like she's a finisher as well, something that Joanna struggled to do mm-hmm. earlier on. We saw some of the finishes against fighters who just couldn't couldn't hang with her in the striking department. But yeah. she's not necessarily a finisher. But Wei Lee has that. F- power she has some submissions you know she has like she has that finish over Jessica Ar- Aguilar with the arm bar like mm. we've seen her we've seen bits of her submission game we've seen bits of her punching power against Andrade who's an absolute bull yep. I think if there's going to be a finish it's likely you're going to be from Wei Lee.
0: okay I completely forgot that Joanna, because that was the other thing that I didn't like about Joanna is that after Rose beat her twice she didn't address the fact that she can't see the counter left coming. And she got hit with it in both... Um, uh, she got hit with the left counter in both Namajunas' fights. Yeah. And that's just something... That's it, another factor that you have to bring into that fight is where Joanna's head is at. Whether or not she still think that, thinks that she's got to get to fighting or if she actually went back to the drawing board, watched the film of the fights, and then worked on what she had to work on. Because if she didn't... I. If she didn't, it's going to be a rough transition for her, too. I honestly forgot that she had even come back and, and won a fight after the Yunus fights. So I thought that that was her last time that she was in the octagon was when she was getting beat up by Rose.
1: There is an interesting narrative that you bring up there in terms of where both fighters' mental spaces are. Because like you said, there's a lot of turbulence of what's going on with Wei Lee and if And with the coronavirus, in fact, she's got to move around and scramble. And Mm -hmm. there are probably people on social media all day. Like, she's just an innocent girl just trying to learn English and communicate with her fans. And all of a sudden, there's these trolls trying to spread their, they're just, just trying to spew their bullshit and their racist Chinese stuff. Over here, trying to, you know, over here, you know, just, you know, spreading a toxic Idea and believe that just because someone is Chinese or anything involving Chinese or Chinese like
0: any yeah anything, anything
1: involving Chinese like whether it's like food or like people mm-hmm. not wanting to go to Chinese restaurants or just the overall just like she's dealing with a lot right now. Then from Yoana's side, there's also there's also a factor of like maybe the head games and the stuff and the trash talk that she's trying to do and the fact that Li Jung just said shut up to her face. It's like is it really affecting her like who knows whether or not it really is yeah. getting to her head and there was also some of the stuff she used to she she used to talk about during the Rosnamu Unis fight like some of the weight cutting problems and the fact that She did look a little sucked up going down to 115, Mm -hmm. and there is also the things she brought up about her personal life and her not being engaged with her fiance anymore because he cheated on her, and it just there's all there's a bit of some dynamics outside of the fight that could affect what happens inside of a fight.
0: Yeah, and I think the human aspect is what makes fighting so so interesting to watch, and this is not where. Because, like, in football and basketball, the more talented, like, the better put-together teams are, are going to win 98% of the time. We saw that with the Chiefs this year and how they they were just one of the better teams and were able to come mm-hmm. back. In fighting, you have to deal with personalities and the mental structure of, of each fighter going into it. And the, the xenophobic stuff is really shitty. Um, and I'll I i haven't told this story yet on the podcast. When my girlfriend was talking to me yesterday, and she has a friend who was born in China and was adopted, like, 20 however long ago and uh some douchebag in in fort collins was she was sick the other day and she coughed and the douchebag was like well i hope you're not from china it's like well i was born there but yeah because
1: obviously all chinese people automatically have it yeah just shut up
0: it's not a genetic thing It, it happened there's a whole bunch of reasons why it happened but it's also not that as big of a deal as people are making it and i just don't understand why it all of a sudden it's okay to be like shitty towards that that one ethnicity of a person. Yeah, like
1: people just for some reason don't have the ability to look at things from another person's shoes. Like what if it happened to America, like or well, what if there was a disease that happened in America and all of a sudden people's like, Well I'm not gonna eat hot dogs or I'm not gonna yeah. associate with anyone American and I'm gonna ban your rights to travel to other countries just Mm -hmm. because a virus started here. That automatically means that anything involving American tradition and anyone from America automatically has a disease. And it's just, it's disgusting. Like people just don't have the, people are just, it really, stuff like this really exposes like Mm -hmm. the humanist aspect of, the world and just how good but also how shitty human beings could be
0: yeah and i think you have probably the better perspective on this because you're a first generation american right yeah yeah so i'm sure that you dealt with a whole bunch of uh, of shit growing up when you have your your name is difficult to pronounce and all that kind of stuff and your parents didn't grow up in the u.s so you're you still have like the traditions that they had coming from nigeria and then you have to try and integrate yourself and be as much of an american as you can but you were born you were born here right and yeah. you were born here you've grown up here so you have the traditions and the values from your parents but you also are you're you're american it's not like just because your parents were not born here doesn't make you any less of an american than than anybody else and it's the same thing like Whaley just wants to be here and she's doing the best for her family and trying to push herself forward into in something that she wants to do and then people are coming at her with the well you're not from here so i don't Mm -hmm. actually like you you can go you can go fuck yourself or something like that
1: yeah but going back to what you were talking about i was like uh someone from being someone of a different ethnic background and also like but like also having the clash of like adapting and being and like learning the ways of the culture you're in now Mm -hmm. like it's also like what Israel decided Like on, on his chest he has a tattoo of broken native. Like it's also kinda of like a reference of like him being born in Nigeria but also like being raised in like New Zealand and going through the schooling system there and some of the mm-hmm. some of the things are like some of the stuff he faced and like he was bullied and he faced things like that for kind of kinda of being the nerd and the fact that he's really tall but not necessarily good at basketball or traditional ball and stick sports and yeah. it's kind of it's kind of a shame to see like some of the stuff that people have to go through just, you know, some and things like this, and so like the coronavirus outbreak just shows like the the way the way people could just be so hateful and target people just based off of some is it insignificant
0: Yeah. You know? It we're starting to see that America is not as far ahead as, as I think people like to think with the xenophobic stuff and the racist stuff, but um the Israel Adesanya stuff being bullied in, in New Zealand. And um, I don't know if you saw the, the Australian uh, little, little kid a couple weeks ago that was getting bullied and um, for being – he was Aborigine, which is the native to mm. Australians, and he's getting bullied for that. And
1: uh, Was it the 9-year-old yeah, kid? Or?
0: Yeah, the 9-year-old Australian kid that was getting bullied, and, and his mom posted the video of him crying after it. Um, it's just weird how, like, in, in, even in 2020 – not only is like america not as far ahead in in race race relations and and stuff like that all around the world it's it's different everywhere that you go it'll but everybody go has away. their has their own shit too yeah
1: it, it'll never go away like you only hope it'll get better but yeah mm-hmm. it'll never go away but yeah. yeah it's always good to see people like got though like yep. rise and defy and you know kind of like break stereotypes and mm-hmm. stuff and I believe he won the New Zealander Sportsman of the Year, and like he made a really good speech and yeah. like stuff like telling people to be more open minded to people of different backgrounds and to be open minded of, you know, not all mixed martial artists are these um violent, you know, mm-hmm. un and un- un- apathetic jocks like, and yeah. same thing goes for people of certain races, like just just to be more open minded of people from different backgrounds.
0: Definitely, I think Kamaro Usman is doing the same thing because when he was on the Rogan Man, that Kobe podcast, Covington
1: victory was like symbolic. Yeah, even if well, even if the Covington thing is a gimmick, he he, he, he knows what a he's little bit too he far. knows what he's doing. Yeah, I think making he pushed jokes a little about little his father far. and things about that. And yeah, his, the Nigerian background, just like he he knows what he's doing. He mm-hmm. pushed the envelope for a reason.
0: Yeah, I think he went a little bit too far, and I do think that a, a lot of people that know Colby outside of the gimmick say that he's not that bad of a person. But I think Usman is pushing the the narrative that he's a really intelligent fighter. He's a badass and can kick the, oh, no kick the shit out of anybody. But he's more of an just an intelligent person, and he's doing this because he he loves to compete, and it's just what he what he can do to strive to move forward in in, in the world today. Um, switching over now, you want to go judging because we can talk about. Um, shitty judging or we can talk about the khabib tony fight that's coming up next month
1: um we we can save that for another time Then we can really go into the judging because that could go into effect on any night you know this romero adesanya fight both fights in the main event and coming event could be really close and they could you know it could come Mm -hmm. down to some shitty judging
0: yeah well uh, who where where's the ufc event today um, I believe is in Vegas. So okay,
1: it's one of the more experienced commissions. Like obviously there's a lot of dirt, but at the same time that comes with a commission with a historical background as long as Vegas is. So yeah. there's a bit of ups and downs, like some of the some of the corruption in terms of like the way the judges handle fighters, like with the King Mo situation and with the fact that they're about to ban Nick Diaz for life for smoking marijuana. So there's some corruption there. But at the same time there are positive in the factor that the Nevada Commission is very experienced. Mm-hmm. So likely likely are we're gonna get better judging than what we normally get.
0: Yeah. Well, do you think the ten point system works for MMA? The ten the winner gets ten and then the loser gets nine or less or whatever, because that's that was originally used for boxing which I think boxing is a lot easier to, to judge based off that because you only have to look at one aspect of the person person's game. You only have to watch whether or not they're moving forward and landing punches, but in MMA, a guy can take somebody down, and I think this was brought up after the Dan Hooker-Paul Felder fight because Hooker did take Felder down, but he wasn't really doing much with him. He was just trying to kind of hold him down and, and make it so that Felder couldn't piece him up anymore on the feet. Um, do you agree with the way that the mma uses the boxing rules still and and is there a different way that could be better
1: um the 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 area in which i stand in terms of this argument is actually an area that i feel like a lot of people aren't necessarily standing at it's the factor of it's not necessarily the systems that we use that are bad like it's not the because regardless of whether we use a 10-9 system or if we use open scoring Mm. like regardless of what system we use it's The problem is we have bad judges, so even if it's an open scoring system, you'll be able to see that there is a shitty judge that scored the round 10-9 for the other fighter going into the second round, and that doesn't change the factor that the scorecard is what the scorecard is and that Mm -hmm. you're still in the fight regardless. So I think the biggest factor is not that the system is bad or that... I think a ten nine system could be good, but just a factor of we put our ju- we put the judges in a really bad condition to be able to watch a fight, and also some of the judges are incompetent. Like yeah. you look, you look at where these judges are watching fights, and the factor is they don't they don't get a. G- they only get the cage side view. Like they don't necessarily get the good camera angles that someone watching on TV gets. Yep. They're also they're also cage side, so they get the biases of the fans. Yep. They can hear every single strike, but they can also hear every fan reaction to every single strike. And if there's a crowd bias, for example, Dan Hooker is from New Zealand, yes. fighting in New Zealand. I'm not saying that he did it when the fight. Because personally, I thought he did. Mm-hmm. But in a fight as close as Dan Hooker and Paul Felder. And you're putting judges in a situation where they're at cage side to hear the crowd biases. They don't have a good, they don't have the best of camera views. They only get the cage side view. And we're just not putting judges in a good position to accurately judge fights.
0: Yeah, and I think that them having the judges at cage side, if you've ever gone to a, a live event, you know that it's not the same as watching it on TV. You don't get to see everything that's going on. Um, and especially when you're looking through a, a chain chain link fence, it's going to be difficult to see what, land, what actually lands, what actually affects the other person. And um, we're getting to the point now where I think we can start having people uh, who understand MMA and the different aspects of it. Because when it first started out, it was just boxing judges moving over from the commission. Like the Nevada State Athletic Commission would go, okay, we have these guys who are slated to – Um, judge this many events, I guess we'll throw them into the UFC event whether or not they know grappling and and jujitsu and and wrestling and all that, they're just going to be looking at who's landing more strikes on the feet and and moving forward and that's going to be how they're judging it. Um, I think we're starting to get to the point where we're going to have people who understand the different aspects of the game, but I do agree with you that if you're there live there's so many other factors that influence Mm -hmm. the way you see the fight and um, the different uh, the different times that you can watch something over and over, I think that helps a little bit more, a little bit too, with the uh, the judging. So if they were in like a, a an enclosed room, they couldn't see the hear the yeah. crowd. They get to watch the fight, and if they need to see a replay, they can go watch a replay of whatever just happened. I think that would be more beneficial. Um, then p- changing up how the, the judging is going. Because if you change how the judging is going, that's going to bring in a whole new effect, and the mm-hmm. fighters are going to have to learn how to fight a different way then.
1: Yeah, there isn't an end-all, be-all solution, which which is going to make this this situation always controversial in terms of the judging in mixed martial arts. But I think that is something that they could look into in the factor of removing judges from the from the crowd biases and what's going on and giving them a better camera view. And not only that, another thing that I've seen people bring up is not only putting them in a room where they can look at a TV and monitor the fight, but also putting the TV on mute. So mm-hmm. perhaps if there's a commentator bias or so if there's like a fighter commentator who where, like, Daniel Cormier yep. commentating for an AKA fighter, even though he does a good job of it, yeah. but maybe a fighter like Dominic Cruz, whereas at times it seems like he gets a little biased whenever an alliance yeah. fighter is fighting, he may lean a little bit more in the favor of that fighter, where maybe the judges could put the TV on mute and, like, be in a room by themselves just to watch the room, so no biases could come across.
0: I think they should also, if they want to keep the judges at cage side, that's fine, but they should have... The way football does, where they have somebody watching over it for the replay judges, they get. I, I think look
1: the screen, like right there to yeah. watch
0: it. So if they're the cage side judges have a question, they can go and talk to the guys who's watching it on the screen without the fan bias, without the. Yeah. So they think somebody lands a punch and they hear the crowd roar and they think, oh, they did a lot of damage. They can ask, hey, did that look as devastating as I as I felt it did? And the judge that's up in the box go, well, I mean, he did land the punch, but it didn't really affect the guy. And the since he doesn't know the crowd, he would literally just be looking at the action that's going on in the, in the cage.
1: Yeah, well, I've I've missed the experience of actually watching an MMA fight live, but ha- haven't you been to one before? Mm-hmm. And like, isn't it true that the commentators could get the TV monitors to watch, but the judges don't?
0: I think so. Yeah. I was up. I the one that I went to was in the Pepsi Center, and and we ended up being in one of my buddy's boxes, so we were way far away um, from it. Uh, it's I don't know, there's, it's such a rowdy event, too, because the people that go and watch MMA, especially back when I did, because I was watching. Uh,
1: oh, was it the tap-out era?
0: Probably, yeah.
1: Beer guzzling, Pretty you know, much. rock and
0: roll, yeah, it metal was, band
1: t-shirt wearing. It was like era. 2011.
0: It was, it was oh, before, yeah, it was that era, yeah, the tap-out era. It was before John Jones was like, I think he. it was before he was champion. And I, I watched Ben Rothwell and Mark Hunt, like, Oh, yeah. hump each FI, other for the yeah. last round because they were
1: so tired yeah from the elevation yeah, yeah.
0: um <clears throat> so i'm not sure what it would be like now <clears throat> but uh, i agree with you that there's way more corruption than can be dealt with at this point just even we saw it with the john jones fight where they gave him a, they gave one of the judges the scorecard the guy that scored it uh 49, 45 or whatever it Yeah, was. that guy
1: was off all night. There yeah. were other fights where he just absolutely butchered. Mm-hmm. There was another one where he had a relationship with one of the fighters where I believe he gave a fighter, I don't know if it was like what rank of a belt could have been a purple, purple, brown belt, black belt. But regardless, wow. he had a relationship with one of the fighters. And it was like a round where round one was an obvious an obvious 10-9 round for the other fighter. Hmm. He gave it to the fighter who knew, who he knew, which his name was Trevin Giles. Yeah. He was fighting James Krause, and he gave, he gave round one 10-9 to Trevin Giles, like the guy he knew, despite the fact that he may have spent like three and a half to four minutes on his back. Yeah. So it's just like, there's corruption in it, just inside and out.
0: I don't know if the Athletic Commission should be the ones judging. I think that um, all the referees that are scheduled to ref that night, they could possibly be the judges at, at cage side. If you want to keep the, if you don't want to change the setup and, and put the resources that they would have to do for the the judges to be up in the skybox or whatever, I think the referees probably understand more about what's going on in the fight than the judges do. Yeah,
1: but it would also help just to have more of a selection pool to choose from because. Mm-hmm. Being being a judge or like being dedicated to sport of MMA, it's gonna be very the, dem- it's gonna demand a lot of time for, from your weekends or whatever you want to do, whatever fun you want to yeah. get into. Like you're gonna have to be dedicated. to Being a referee and getting the reps in, or being a judge and getting the reps in. So. It would definitely help having more minds to choose from, whether it's not just former fighters or could be referees, like you said, but it yeah. could also be well knowledgeable jujitsu coaches or wrestling coaches or bo- yeah. or striking coaches or to get to get guys to get different perspectives with fights.
0: I don't know if you can take out um, biases, and I don't think you can p- completely take out biases in judging in combat sports. Because if you wanted to do like a jiu-jitsu coach or a striking coach, they're obviously going to be watching just even for their discipline, yeah. and they're not going to be paying attention to the guy who... Um, and I, we can actually transition this into talking about Tony and, and Khabib. The reason why I think Tony has a chance to beat Khabib is because Tony does get taken down a lot, even though he's a he's a great wrestler and all that kind of stuff, but he doesn't mind being taken down because he's a 10-planet jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah, and he's comfortable. If, yeah, if you have a, a judge judging that fight that is more of a a wrestler background or a striking background. And he sees Khabib take Tony down in every single round, but he doesn't watch the fact that Tony's throwing elbows from the bottom or going for submissions, triangle chokes, star chokes, stuff like that. You can end up having the same problem. That's, um, that that's still going on. So I think that there's gotta be some way that they're going to be able to fix it. But at at this point, if it's ran through the commission, it's not going to be fixed.
1: Yeah, but the point that you brought up with Tony and Khabib, um, I think that's the thing that makes the fight so interesting. The fact of just um, these are both fighters who are very coverable, attacking like they're they're aggressive attackers on the ground, and mm-hmm. we see that from. Tony, that we don't, we haven't seen from a lot of opponents that Khabib has faced. You know, when yeah. like Khabib gets a takedown opponent, for the most part, uh, the opponent is looking to get back on their feet as quick as possible. Kind of turns into a panic, like what happened to Dustin Poirier and Conor yeah. McGregor, where kind of turns into a panic where they're looking to get back to their feet. But a guy like Khabib has five or six trained responses for whatever you do, or yeah. well, however you try to, whatever, whether you try to, whether you try to go into a butterfly guard, or whether you try to kick. Kick him off of you, or whatever he has five or six train responses for everything. So it's going to be hard for you to get up. However, Tony, on the other hand, he may not be looking to get up. He's coverable from off his back. He could mm-hmm. throw the elbows, like you said. He could go for submissions. Both guys, you know, both guys have some offensive submission games. Whereas Khabib is more of a top game. Mm-hmm. Tony, he hits it more from his back and yep. hitting chokes from the front, headlocks or triangles and stuff like that. So it's an interesting matchup because it's a matchup between guys who both have very aggressive grappling games.
0: I think this is the best stylistic matchup that I can remember for a while. Just because... Um, and I don't discount Tony's stand-up game because his footwork is on another level and you can't find somebody who's going to be... a chaotic be, striker. Yeah, you can't find somebody who's going to be able to emulate it near as good as no. he can. Because he, he incorporates salsa dancing, break dancing, boxing, and then he was also a wrestler, so he can... He knows how to measure distance and stuff like that. I just, I think that this fight is so much closer than people are giving credit for because everybody just knows how dominant Khabib is and they think he's going to take him down and ground and pound him and all that kind of stuff. I think that you can't discredit the game of Tony Ferguson and the fact that I think he's won like his last nine fights that he's been in and he hasn't really been in in trouble even though he's been in like you'll say non-dominant positions he's always on the attack he's always doing something to work towards winning the fight yeah
1: and uh, interesting dynamic you brought up is the striking mm-hmm. it's a striking battle and the factor of like who wins that. and you look at tony and his style and his ability to throw wild stuff. like he'll mix in the spinning attacks and if he gets rocked he'll he'll do the Eminari roll escape and he'll throw these elbows and these stepping knees yep. and the way the way he just mixes it up and like it's a very funky and interesting style to watch. And with Khabib, we have a guy who's. Refined so much as a pressure striker. You have to give the people at AKA credit for refining Khabib's style as a striker so much. Like, when you look at Khabib's first fight at UFC, I believe it was against Kamal Shalarous, you know, former WEC UFC veteran. Yeah. Like, his striking style kind of looked a little wild. It was just kind of had like the unrefined kind of Russian sambo style yeah. where he's going to go really wild and throw lots of haymakers and make things and just find ways to. Throw wild stuffs, and if that doesn't land, at least he's close to his opponent. And can get into the clinch and do what he does well. But mm-hmm. if you look at what Khabib does now, he is so much more effective as a striker now. And the people, at AKA, are the reason for that. Like they've sharpened him up, and he's a lot more, he's a lot more relaxed and a lot more refined of a pressure
0: striker. Yeah. So. Do you think K- Khabib is going to get close enough to take Tony down, or because do, Tony is a lot longer, has really long arms for a featherweight or a lightweight, especially? Um, I'm starting to think that maybe I think Khabib is going to be able to take him down. I'm not saying that he won't be able to, but do you think it's going to be di- more difficult than some of his previous fights to get close enough to take Tony down?
1: Um, considering that Tony Ferguson struggled to defend takedowns against Danny Castillo, got taken down with relative ease in round one against Kevin Lee. Then again, in round three and until he was able to find that triangle choke submission. And, um, and the fact I believe Abel Trujillo even took him down two times in the first round, so mm-hmm. I I don't think the battle be whether or not Khabib's gonna take him down because obviously Khabib's yeah. gonna take him down. But the thing that Tony does well is that he's a good scrambler, but he's also good off his back, and he could also you know punish you and punish you, reverse you over, work his top game, mm-hmm. or or get back to his feet, rock you, snap you down, get you in the front headlock, and. Yeah you know, things like that. So it's not, it's not whether or not Khabib takes Tony down, but what happens once they hit the ground, because Khabib's going to take him down. He's going to take Tony down fast. Yeah.
0: Do you think that Tony's going to be able to punish Khabib going in for the takedown? Because like you said, with uh, Stylebender and Romero, that's Stylebender's going to have to make him pay every time that he goes to try and and take him down. I Do you see Tony possibly kind of beating up Khabib while he's going for the takedown?
1: If there's a guy out there who can make him pay and, who can throw a punishing elbow in the clinch and make it pay for trying to shoot for it. Or, or if there is a guy who can shoot for... Or if there is a guy who can go for a guillotine once their opponent shoots in on a takedown, doesn't pay attention to the P's and Q's, and may have their head dipped in too low. Mm-hmm. So if... Yeah. There is a guy who could take advantage of something like that. It is a guy like Tony Ferguson, so that's where the interesting dynamic goes because both guys are such aggressive grapplers. Whereas Khabib, his top game is hard to deny, and his offense is hard to deny. Whereas for Tony, whether he's grappling offensively or defensively, whether he's on top or whether he's off his back, he is just as dangerous.
0: Yep. Um, then talking about the other two like top lightweights, and I think who. I think it's basically, it's not, it's like a tournament almost to see who's going to fight for the title next. Um, Gaethje and and McGregor, you said that that... And also
1: Hooker Poirier. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, there's a lot of of other ones that are um, looking back for that. But I think, honestly, um, with the way Gaethje has started to come on in his last few fights, I think that the UFC wants to give him a title shot. But I think they're going to make the fight with Mm. McGregor just to keep both guys warm a little bit. Um, Out of the other top lightweights who do you think can you see challenging for the title next? Is it McGregor, Gaethje, Poirier, or Hooker?
1: Um, I think it comes down to the battle of UFC versus manager because right now it seems like Justin Gaethje's manager, Ali Abdelaziz, wants Justin Gaethje to hold out so he could potentially get a fight against Khabib where... Whereas he manages both those fighters, so yeah. there's there's some sh- some signs of you know shady managing. Whereas a guy wants to get cuts of both sides of the promotion. Whereas he kind of wants Justin Gaichi to hold out and fight Khabib, where he gets profit off of both fighters. Mm. But from perspective of the UFC, they want they want to put up fights where the fans want to see, and you get an exciting action fighter and. You sell that idea to the fans of who Justin Gaethje is, and the factor that people already know who Conor McGregor is, and that could produce blockbuster numbers. So it comes down to the battle of what the what the UFC and what Dana White may want, which is a McGregor Gaethje fight, or what Ali may want for his own clients and for his own fighters, which is he wants like he wants a benefit from all of them.
0: Yeah. Well. What what is your prediction for the Khabib fight? Who do you who do you think is going to win, uh, Khabib or Tony? Mm. And we'll knock on wood real quick just oh, to make oh, sure yeah, that yeah, they definitely. make it to the fight because this is the third time that it's been scheduled and they haven't made it to the cage once. But who do you think is going to win that fight?
1: Um, Khabib is just one of those fighters where, I I just can't see him losing until he actually loses. Whereas Tony, yeah, he hasn't lost in a long time, but he's definitely been in some rocky fights. Whereas you know, we've seen him. He tends to be a slow starter. He tends to lose the first rounds. And a guy like Khabib, I just don't think is very forgiving. Once his momentum gets going, he's it's like, you know, it's like an avalanche. It just keeps going. Like, he's not going to slow down. He's going to keep beating on you. Whereas mm-hmm. um, Kevin Lee kind of set out the blueprint, but kind of got gassed, you know. Going into the, the fight, infection. he may have had that staff infection. So it kind of looked like he gassed out a little bit. But he showed the blueprint that... Tony can be taken down and if you have a good top game and if you have the ability to pass and do things like that, that you could really find success with your top game. And if Kevin Lee could do it, a guy as relentless and as tireless as Khabib mm-hmm. could definitely follow that blueprint. So I just, mm-hmm. um, while Tony will make it interesting, there may be moments where he could threaten with a couple close submissions similar to how Poirier did. And also moments where Khabib maybe sitting in his guard, and all of a sudden, Tony opens up with, like, four or five elbows to his face and cuts mm-hmm. Khabib open. So, things could happen, but I think, ultimately, Khabib's going to be able to control it and win.
0: Do you think it's by decision if Khabib wins?
1: Yeah, Tony's a maniac. I don't mm-hmm. I don't
0: see him being finished. Yeah, I, I won't think, like I said, I think Tony's going to win. I, I hope he wins because I I want to see that. Nothing against Khabib. I don't... I definitely have a lot of respect for him and the fact that he's 27 and 0 and he's undefeated as an MMA fighter and those Dagestani wrestlers you can never count out um I just want Tony to win and in my heart I can feel it feels like Tony is kind of due for one and this is I think it's going to be his first title fight I think this is the one where he's going to win it um hopefully like I like we said hopefully they make it to the cage and then hope I I'm hoping that Khabib um and, and Tony have a great fight, and I think Tony's going to win, and then we could possibly have a trilogy. That could be the, the next big rivalry in the sport. Um, we had McGregor Diaz, and uh, we had Liddell Ortiz, and uh, DC John Jones, and now I think this one could be good. Where it's Ferguson could be for the next however many years that they they want to keep fighting. Um, quickly, just before we're going to wrap up here soon, but. I, don't, I talked about it last night with uh, in our Gunnison Sports Talk Radio group chat. Um, Austin Eckler, the uh, alumni of Western, we both played with him. You played with him for two years. I got to play with him for one year. Signed a four-year, $24.5 million extension. Bucks. Yeah, and we were talking a little bit about that on the show Wednesday as to whether or not they were going to re-sign him, and, and he did get re-signed. So what do you think of that move for the Chargers and for Austin specifically?
1: Um, something that I brought up in that group chat, though, as well, I am happy for him, obviously, as a Westerner alumni to get some money. I I, I did bring him the fact that I thought it was a little less than what he truly deserved, especially the productive season that he had last year going for maybe over 1,200 all-purpose yards. And just yeah. the things that he brings to a football team, whereas not only is a, he a running back, but... Honestly, he was more productive last year as a receiver. The things that they do—that not only is he a receiver just out of the backfield, but they will also line him up wide, and yep. they have just five foot nine, what two hundred five, maybe two hundred pound running Very running back—a guy, yeah, pounds. a guy who's not a receiver, mind yep. you, he's a running back—to just be able to line him up wide, mm-hmm. like. To see him actually run sharp routes and beat corners who actually do that for a living, yeah. and the value that he brings as a receiver, also like I just, I just felt like he deserved a little bit more, maybe something something along the lines of you know a nine million a year or yeah. something like that.
0: I didn't have too much of a problem with with it just because he was an undrafted free agent. The running back market is so skewed away from everything else because receivers are getting a whole bunch of money. Quarterbacks are getting a whole bunch of money. Offensive line have been getting a whole bunch of money a lot. Uh, running backs are starting to be seen as a little bit more of a commodity almost. It's like a
1: dilemma. It was like yeah. you look at it from the perspective of the running backs, they're thinking, pay us more because we may not be durable. We may not last very long, so pay us while we're here. But when you look at it from the other side, it's like, well, we don't want to pay you that much because you may be not here. be here yeah. that long. So it's like, it like a dilemma.
0: Yeah, I think that it's – it was a great move for the Chargers and I think it keeps them um, in the hunt. I think they're the second best team in the AFC West behind the Chiefs. And I think it's gonna keep them in the hunt for the wild card mm-hmm. spots for a down year, but, Yeah. Uh. For a couple more years to come and when they get their new quarterback to fill in for Phillip Rivers, he's gonna Eckler's gonna help out whoever they bring in as quarterback mm-hmm. a lot because he's gonna take so much pressure off of him and give him that safety blanket. I mean, putting put him out in the slot and see if a linebacker can can't cover him they're not going to be able to he's going to be able to beat the nickel corners every every time that he goes up against them and he can run in between the tackles and he proved that last year when melvin gordon was holding out and he had to step up and be the starter so i think that it's good for good for eckler it's good for western especially western football to get that guy out there and he's the first to credit western football with how how he was how successful he's been so far and he's just he's even more of an athletic freak than he was when he left here did you, have you seen that video where he's doing the split um, vertical jumps
1: um I haven't I've probably seen it but you know I kind of get mixed up and yeah. lost because he definitely posts a lot of different stuff and workout videos mm-hmm. whether it's just him or, or him and Taylor and just a partner workout videos yeah. and it's just he definitely likes to show off a little bit of the, those you he's, know a bit he's, of the, his yeah. athletic ability like he has a work ethic too quite obviously yeah. you know coming from the d2 ranks but it needs to be emphasized that this man is an absolute freak too
0: yeah well i i don't know your opinion on this but when i talk to people about austin and and why when i knew and why i knew he was going to be a professional it was he was never a bad teammate especially in the time that i knew him but he was kind of he's he's a little bit of an asshole where he's going to He's always in just the right gonna, way. Yes, he's, a, he's an asshole in a good way where he's going to be successful no matter what. No matter who he has to beat up, no matter who he where he has to go, no matter what he has to do, he's going to be successful. So he, he's always had that little bit of a, of a mindset where he's going to be an asshole and he's going to get what, what he needs to do to go where he wants to go.
1: Yeah, he was also one of those guys where like he wasn't the guy who talked a lot but he talked what he needed to like mm-hmm. whenever he addressed a team where there was like whether it was like the senior speech the beginning of the season or the end of the season or
0: Were you on the Dixie trip when he talked to the team after the game? No. He cuz that was it was the most successful year that Western football was having in a while. I think we yeah. were 3 and 3 and 1 3 and 1 going into yeah. the Dixie game and we ended up losing by a touchdown and he got up in front of the team after the game, he's like, You dumb motherfuckers were posting that we were gonna be four and one before the game even happened and now look where we are and that was like it was a motivating thing to see. Yeah. And then after the, the Fort Lewis game where he accidentally fumbled the uh, muffed a couple punts and then he had Garrett out there punting to him for like forty five minutes after practice just so that he would never do it again. It, he's just a different kind of person.
1: Yeah, like he'd always have the right thing to say at the right moment and like I said before, he didn't talk a lot, but if you need to say something, if there's a guy in the weight room who needed to be uplifted or maybe a guy slacking off, like, mm-hmm. you know, he knew when to speak or he wasn't necessarily an asshole or he wasn't overly dickish about it, but he just knew what to say and he's just a lead by example type of guy. So it was always good to see good things happening to good people.
0: Yep. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. This was yes. good to get all the, the fighting out so now we won't have to – sit there and have the other guys sit there in silence for Gunnison Sports Talk Radio while oh, yeah. we go on about about fighting and stuff. So yeah, We uh, needed
1: more than 15 minutes for that
0: one. Yeah. yeah, we definitely needed more than 15 minutes, and it was good to get you on here where we didn't have to worry about time constraints or what we can and can't say, and I think that uh, we talked about a lot of good stuff for the UFC, so thanks for coming on the show. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. Hate me, still trying to replace
1: me, chase me, chase me,
0: tell me how you hate me erase me, race me Wish you never dated me, lies, tell me lies, baby, tell me how you hate me. Hate me, hate me, tell me how you hate me. Tell me how I'm trash and you can easily replace me. Tell me that I'm strung out, wasted on a daily. Probably cause there's no one around me, not me, not my pain. Probably cause there's no umbrella to shoot me from all the rain. Probably because you're the one playing the mind games. You hate me because I don't let you play no mind games. They give me my grip.